Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. If you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Lindsay Kaplan about common pitfalls around gathering and change. Lindsay Kaplan, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be here. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Bay Area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about common pitfalls and ways around those pitfalls in gathering in the organization and organizational change and how we can go about doing all of that more effectively. As we get started, I wanted to share Lindsay's bio with everybody. Lindsay Kaplan is an organizational psychologist and communication strategist. She helps HR, marketing, and business leaders script employee experiences that help boost morale, engagement, and retention for the long term via her consultancy, The Gathering Effect. I really like that. And maybe you can just start by telling us a little bit more about The Gathering Effect, as well as anything else about your background or personal context. Yeah, sure. So my background is a little uh, different, maybe. (laughs) I've worked across entertainment and education and business. um, But what all of those things have in common is I've been shaping or creating experiences that lead to creating an effect in other people. So that whether it's to entertain or inform or engage, it's always usually been a gathering. And over those 20 or so years, I've seen common patterns and pitfalls and wanted to put all that together into a business to help organizations gather their people together and create these effects that a lot of companies want. Yeah. And so let's, let's talk about that gathering. Why, why is gathering so important? I mean, I think during the last couple of years of the pandemic where people, so many people have been remote and separated and socially isolated, um, it's been hard and we've seen an uptick in, and domestic violence and, and, and mental illness and depression and anxiety and some of those types of things that are tied to the fact that we're social animals. And so mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about gathering, why they can be powerful. And then we can start to talk about how we can leverage that more within our organizations. Yeah. I mean, gathering is just so much a part of human nature and, and what we crave and, and, it's something that we do all the time for ritual and for meaning in our companies. It's really, in my experience, the most common tool that we use to spark change or movement inside our companies. So when we want people to do something differently. We tend to start by bringing them together, whether that's virtually or in person. So 
that looks like something like an all hands or a training class or an offsite or I guess an onsite uh, conference or new hire orientation, we tend to think we'll pull people in a room and we'll tell them a message and then that will poof, create this change. And oftentimes they sort of have a steep drop off or that change doesn't really stick. But, you know, we can do things differently in order to actually maximize that investment and make make it worth it both for the employee, but also for the business. And yeah, now that we can gather again, I think there really is this hunger for people to come together, but there's also a strong desire for them to be worth it, <laughs> especially if we're we used to working from home and don't have to put on pants. <laughs> if we want to make that effort, if we're going to make that effort, they really have to be worth it. So hopefully the bar is higher now too. And the point that you just made is, is really important. I want to key in on this because just the fact that you have an all hands meeting and you bring everyone together, either in person or virtually, that's a gathering. Uh, but just because you do that, and you roll out, you, you say, here's our big strategic vision. And this is the rollout of this new change initiative. This is what we're going to do. The fact that you had that all hands meeting, you had that gathering that doesn't necessarily mean much of anything. If there's no sustained effort in terms of the, the implementation of that change over time. Uh, and that's where so many organizations just fall flat on their face because they, they put a lot of effort into those initial, that initial meeting or those initial meetings, but then a week, a month, six months, a year out, nobody's thinking about it. Nobody's talking about it. And lo and behold, everything tends to revert back to how it was in the old status quo and change is hard. People are naturally just resistant. And, you know, unless it's front of mind and it's part of the con- the dialogue and the conversations that are happening and it's start, it's built into the culture. It, it's not just going to magically happen. So gatherings are yes, very important, but like a simple all hands meeting in and of itself, isn't going to necessarily do anything, but multiple, you know, a, a mm-hmm. kind of having an implementation strategies that, invo- that involves gatherings repeatedly multiple times over the course of an extended period of time to bring people together, to get their input, to get their feedback, to share successes, to do all those sorts of things. That's where you can start to see the power of the gathering. John, I just want to, hire you and work with you to basically talk. (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. Um, A few things that you said there are extra important to key on, but first maybe let's just define what I mean by gathering because we're using this term a lot. Uh, To me, gatherings are bringing people together to match a message with a moment to create an effect. So it's not just like, let's do, uh, you know, one-on-one or have a meeting, but it's really about Uh, I want to bring people together and I want to share a piece of content in hopes that it moves people. And a few things you said about all hands meetings. One, I think we falsely assume that information is enough to change behavior. It's not, right? So that's one component of this. Almost never. For most people, that will not work. Right, right. But I think, you know, we don't necessarily realize that that's the case because for the people putting the content together, we're so interested in it. It's our content. So we don't necessarily see that someone else might not care about it unless we give them a reason to care. Secondly, we tend to, this is sort of going into the pitfalls, we tend to spend a lot of time on the what, the content, and a lot less on the how. How will bring that change to people? Will people be motivated by it? Will they care about it? A perfect example is company values. I tend to see companies spend all of their time on what will our new values be, and very little time on how to bring that change to the company. And I really would suggest we reverse that formula. 
Um, and then finally, you talked about multiple gatherings and sustaining the momentum. Yes, I believe that's very important. Um, but to me, it's less about follow up and more about follow through. So are the actions that we're talking about in the gathering, are the leaders demonstrating this behavior? Is it in the business? Is it, is it live? Is it in our reward mechanisms? You know, those are the kinds of things that I think are really key. So anyway, a few add-ons yes. to your, your yes. brilliant comment. Yes. Follow, uh, follow through is so important and just finding ways to have it embedded into the systems and the mechanisms, the policies, practices, procedures, the daily life, the lived experience of people at work, unless that's happening you know, most changes aren't going to take effect. That's the hard work of change, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know you talk about gatherings as culture on display. Uh, I, I love that concept. Maybe describe that a little bit more for us. And what does that mean? Like for us as organizational leaders, how can we leverage that recognizing that gatherings are culture on display? Yeah, I think when we move to remote or hybrid work, many of us, we have limited time when everyone's together and limited time where we're, you know, seeing leadership or seeing sort of what's expected at our company, whether it's, you know, not on Slack, right? And so when we log into an all hands or we log into a workshop or we log into a values kickoff or a sales kickoff, that's a time when we're really seeing how the company acts and how they behave. Uh, we don't get a lot of time to hear and see from leadership. So these are the new signals about what we care about as an organization because we're not seeing people in the hallway and seeing their everyday behavior. So again, I think these gatherings now have a higher bar. You know, if, if we log into our weekly all hands, that can either potentially dip engagement and motivation or it can raise it depending on how we act and how we behave. So I think it's really due time that we're much more intentional in how we, how we gather people. We, we want our gatherings to be meaningful and to matter and to have it like a clear purpose, right? And when that doesn't happen, I mean, that's always been the case, but I think now as we are really shining a light on this, the pandemic help, helped us realize how many stupid meetings we've been going to, how many pointless gatherings there have been in the past and challenging the assumptions about what needed to happen just because it's always been done that way versus what actually matters. And so if, if you have a gathering, if you're bringing people together, recognize, I mean, there's opportunity costs there. You're bringing people away together to be away from their normal jobs and being productive and, and creative and innovative and whatever. There's an opportunity cost there. Uh, not just in terms of the actual time spent, but also in terms of the morale, in terms of people's engagement. And so if, if you bring people in and it's a soul sucking kind of a experience, it's going to have a negative effect. It's going to dip uh, all those positive things that we're trying to achieve. It's not going to have the effect that we want. Um, so just make sure you're really clear eyed about the purpose. Uh, make sure it's well designed. Make sure it's meaningful. If you can do those things, it can be an opportunity to reinvigorate people, to get them excited, to, to inform, yes, but also to, to help them see the culture in action, to walk the walk and not just say nice things or put nice things on the website or on banners, but actually do them and demonstrate them for people. That's going to do more to change and shift culture in the organization than almost anything else. It's not in my head. Yes, I agree. <laughs> but I, I feel like we should tell people how to do this and not just sort yes. of uh, preach. 
yes. preach its importance. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's get into that. So what, what can we do to design more meaningful purpose-driven gatherings that are going to have the type of positive effect that we're looking for? Yeah. So there's a few steps that I think we can follow. One is like you said, to define the purpose in my, in my vernacular, I call it the effect. So what do we need from the people that we've gathered? What's the change that we're seeking? Um, what's the, uh, what's the after, what's the end that we're starting with? So for example, you know, uh, if we're doing a company all hands, what do we want people to walk away with? Do we want to just inform them? Or we need to engage. Do we want them to comply? What's the effect that we really need? And then that clarity helps us design a gathering um, that really leads to that effect versus just starting with the content, which is where people tend to start. And I say, don't start with the content, start with the effect. So that's the first piece of advice. And then I'll, I'll share a very brief sort of model that, that I've created that helps people, I think, understand the difference between engaging gatherings versus ones that are sort of meant for compliance and sort of check the box. So gatherings can either be push or pull, or they can be one size fits all or personalized. And uh, the vast majority of our gatherings are push and one size fits all. What I advocate for is let's move the needle towards more pull and personalized when what we need is engagement. The key is when we need engagement. So push versus pull, push, you know, standard gathering, maybe our all hands. The employees are very passive, sitting there listening. They're, they're not really actively involved. It's, it's potentially mandatory. They're just sort of like a waterfall. Information is sort of washing over them and they're expected to absorb it and retain it. Whereas pull, we're much more active. We're, we're not necessarily doing breakout rooms, but we're you know, asked a question. We're asked to give feedback. We're um, invited to participate in ways that feel comfortable. And I think these are key differences that we can use to remember that gatherings are meant to be done with people, not at people. And if you want them to be done at people, then send an email. <laughs> Don't bring people together unless there's a reason for them to be there. I, I love that point. How how many of these gatherings do we have that really should just be an email uh, or a quick Slack message or you know something like that? People get really frustrated when they're being brought together uh, to to do things that they know could just be quickly communicated by an email or just do like a quick five minute video that you send out to people or or whatever, right? Um, so I, I really like that kind of a focus. And just, again, making sure that what you're doing is going to resonate with, with your people. Uh, compliance, I, I always think about the difference between compliance and commitment within organizations. Mm. If we're trying to drive commitment in our people, that looks very different than if we're using kind of more fear-based tactics or a carrot and stick for compliance. And the default in many organizations is compliance, like you said. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't think that's actually what they're intending. And what they really want is loyalty, commitment, engagement, those sorts of things. But they're designing the experience the exact wrong way to get what they want. I love that compliance versus commitment. I might steal that <laughs> and credit you. I, I doubt I came. I doubt I came up with that. I'm sure someone else has said that. But but it is a useful way to think about uh, how a lot of things in organizations are set up and function. Uh, because I, you know, I, I'm working with an organization right now. I'm sure the top leadership would never consider themselves as trying, you know, trying to create a, a fear-based, carrot and stick, compliance-based culture. Yet 
that seems to be the predominant culture within the organization. And so I'm working with them to try to help them understand like, okay, so this, you have these policies, practices, procedures, these types of mechanisms in place that are reinforcing a compliance mentality instead of really what you're wanting and what you're going for. So in some cases, that means you're going to have to dismantle some of those existing systems, those existing mechanisms, or, or to help re- adjust them, reframe them, whatever, so that people can see them for what your intent is. And that, that's a hard shift for a lot of people, you know, especially if, you know, for you and I, I'm an organizational sociologist, you're an organizational psychologist, you know, for you and I, this is the kind of stuff we think about all the time, but so many people who find themselves in executive leadership positions uh, or CEOs or, you know, in those types of responsible roles, a lot of times they've come up through finance, through, for, through operations, through other areas where, you know, they do think about these things, but it's not the sole focus or the pr- even primary or secondary focus of what they're focusing on. And so, and then it just isn't something they're, they're, they have, they don't even know where their blind spot is because it's not mm-hmm. something they, they've considered a lot. So I think it's important for us to have these conversations. You know, I, I can be a change agent within my organization. I can be an external change agent if I'm going in doing consulting work, but as an internal change agent, I can drive a lot of change just by having these types of conversations and by helping people understand like the impacts of what they're doing um, that, you know, oftentimes there's just unintended consequences. They, they have no malice towards anybody. They're not trying to, to create a toxic culture yet. They're doing things consistently that are creating that kind of a culture. And so yeah. just helping people to recognize and understand that in a productive way, you know, can be really powerful. Any thoughts or or additions to any of that. Well, uh, no surprise, I agree with you. Um, You know, the compliance uh, thing is interesting. Two thoughts on that. One, sometimes compliance is okay. Sometimes if we're rolling out, you know, a new system and we need people just to input their information, then just saying, hey, please comply here and fill out your benefits is fine. Not everything has to be engaging or engagement. But the question of, you know, why why is compliance bad? Why should we move away from compliance? Because every single time you want people to do something, you have to remind them and ask them. And that actually takes longer than engagement, which is people will do it on their own. They will tell other people, they will be your champion. They will spread the word for you. And that actually saves time and money. So, you know, I think the choice is theirs, but yeah, we, uh, a lot of organizations are really steeped in compliance and that makes uh, culture change challenging in many ways. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong too. You're absolutely right. There is necessary compliance and there's lots of employment and labor law um, issues that you need to be compliant with internally within organizations. There's policies that you need to be compliant with. And so it's not bad to, to have things that people need to do and to have a compliance focus on those things that where the danger comes in is where that becomes the, the overarching foundation of everything that you're doing. And and I, yeah, I, to your point, I see it all the time. It's like pulling teeth. You're trying to pull teeth to get people to do simple little things because it's compliance, but people will, you know, scale a tall mountain when it's engagement, like they'll go through so much effort uh, right. and they'll bring people along with them um, if they believe in it and if they feel like it's important. And so, you know, to the extent we can 
move things that direction and reframe things, it's just going to make our jobs much easier. It might be a little bit of work in the front end. I think that's why a lot of people don't do it. Um, they just think I'm just going to send out an email and say, do this or else. Um, but if you can focus on the, the engagement piece in the long run, I think it's going to pay huge dividends. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of an analogy, <laughs> probably one around like raising kids or compliance. Yeah, there's probably some analogies there, but I think we understand this concept outside of the workplace, but sometimes when we get inside a company, uh, you know, it can bring out the worst in us or the best in us. And well, and it's, we it's just to, yeah. the, the, high, the way most organizations, this is changing by the way, more organizations are moving to flatter kind of structures and such, but the traditional organization with the, with the pyramid hierarchy and power control models of leadership that were prevalent in previous generations, like that's changing in many places, but it's still persistent. And many people who are um, senior in organizations, they don't know any different. They only have lived you know, their lives and been in a career in organizations in similar models. And so when they try to think about how to lead, most leaders have no background in leadership. They have no training in leadership. They've just kind of been thrown into leadership roles and now they're expected to lead effectively. So by default, most of them will mimic what they've seen other people do. And it's the enlightened leaders that will go out and like proactively try to, to develop themselves as leaders and, and, and do those sorts of things. But a lot of people don't have time for that because they're bombarded with, with just constant demands on their time, or at least they feel like they're bombarded with constant demands on their time. They don't have time to invest in their own leadership development. And as such, you just have the perpetuation of some unhealthy things, even if someone recognizes it. Uh, it was interesting. There was a study uh, recently where uh, th- there were, uh, there was a group of people um, who were observed. So they all would take turns doing like a speech, like a, a short speech. And one person would go up and they would give their practice speech. And then everyone in the audience who also had to do their own speech, they would then critique it. And they would say, oh, you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, all these things. And then it was their turn. They would go up, they do the exact same things wrong. All the things they just identified as wrong, they go up and do the exact same thing. And it went on and on and on. Everyone repeated the exact same wrong things that they all recognize were not effective. They all knew that they shouldn't do them, yet they did it, right? And why? Because it's so ingrained in us um, based on our experience and what we see other people do and how we've done things in the past and our muscle memory and all that kind of stuff that we just tend to replicate what has come before us. Sometimes that can be healthy replication, but sometimes it can not be healthy replication. And it's the unhealthy stuff that we want to try to, you know, to shift. You've already mentioned some of the types of small adjustments we can start to make today uh, within the next week that can start to make an impact. Um, Let's close today. I know we have just a few more minutes. Let's close today uh, just talking and reiterating some of the key elements that anyone listening can apply immediately to start to really move the needle, uh, to have meaningful gatherings that have the kind of effect that they're going for. Yeah. So tangible things that people can do. The first is to get really clear on what's the effect that we're trying to create. So ask yourself, how will we know that we've succeeded or what do we want people to know or do or be by the time we're done? If we don't have that clarity, then your employees won't have that clarity either. So that's, that's one. Two is to consider ways to pull instead of push and to personalize instead of do a one size fits all approach. So a few key ways to do that. One 
is to ask a, a question that gets people thinking about the topic, you know, or your all hands or your training class from the get-go and close with, you know, key sort of calls to action or what you want people to know or do. To personalize, ask people to debrief or to think about a topic with others or um, ask them to connect the topic with someone that they meaningfully care about. Um, and, you know, the other way to personalize is a little bit harder for leaders is to have them share why the topic is important to them and to model a little bit of vulnerability because the difference between personalized and one size fits all is emotional involvement. What gets people to care about information is when they feel connected by it. So if our leaders aren't connected, then it's hard for us to know as employees why we should care either. So those are a few sort of tangible things that people can do. I believe gathering is a communication skill. And so if we learn how to gather well, we can learn how to communicate and affect change uh, more effectively inside of our companies. Yeah, very well said and summarized. And I appreciate the really practical points that we can start to do right away. Lindsay, it's been a real pleasure. I know at the time I need to let you go, but before we wrap up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Thanks, John. Yeah, people can find me at my website, which is ringeffect.com. And I'd love to connect with folks. So, so yeah, please, please reach out. Wonderful. Thank you, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. You enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Discover the unparalleled beauty of Kanab, Utah, the heart of the parks, and the ultimate base camp for your national park adventures. Kanab, Utah offers easy access to not one, not two, but three of America's most iconic national parks. Explore the majestic Grand Canyon, hike the stunning trails of Zion, and witness the awe-inspiring landscapes of Bryce Canyon. All just a stone's throw away from Kanab. But Kanab is more than just a gateway. Locals call it the Little Hollywood. It's a charming town with a vibrant community. So whether you're an outdoor enthusiast, a nature lover, or a curious traveler, Kanab welcomes you to make unforgettable memories in the heart of the parks. Plan your journey to Kanab today at visitkanabutah.com. Your gateway to endless adventures starts here.